Do you ever um, make a trip to go do something, and when you got there, you forgot the tool that you needed to do the thing? And then you had to go all the way back and get the tool. Um, we can often neglect to prepare ourselves for what the, with the tools that we need. Uh, not only bringing the tools, but knowing how to use them. Um, we have to learn what the right tools are, learn how to use them, and remember to bring them. Um, there's a neat little story, uh, comical um, and I was in Idaho last year with uh, uh, family, Chris's family. Uh, we decided to do a, a rafting trip on the Delaware River. Uh, this, it's a very casual, super fun actually, uh, just coasting down, no, no real rapids or anything. And, and in rafts, we're just rubber rafts, we're coasting down. So uh, it's a, it was a good long couple hours, so it's a few miles down. Uh, you just flow with the current, and uh, a lot of people out. And uh, they said, Joe, we'll leave your truck here. And then they, we brought all the rafts up to the top, you know, to, to upriver. Loaded all the rafts in, rafted down, had a great time, pulled the rafts out, and they're all walking towards my truck with their rafts. And then it dawned on me. We left my truck here so that we could throw the rafts in it and drive back up where the other cars are. Well, to do that, I would have had to bring my keys, which I did not. So we sat there waiting to get picked up by someone for a good two hours. Yeah, yeah. And I had some, uh, they were very gracious to me. But no one had told me. They just assumed that I knew. And uh, I don't do a lot of rafting trips. I guarantee I will never make that mistake again because it was pretty embarrassing. Uh, in a roundabout kind of way, you know, I went somewhere without the tools. And what Christ shows us here in his temptations is that you and I have to have the word of God ready. Not You don't know the whole thing, right? But particular aspects of the Word of God, particular parts, and I do mean particular scriptures, that you are carrying with you in your soul that are ready to handle temptation when it comes. And uh, that's what the Lord is showing us here. It's a wonderful, wonderful lesson. So we will start in Matthew 4. Let's open up with prayer and be thankful and grateful for his word, always be grateful for God's word. That's what we're going to do here every time we gather is to get into God's word. And uh, in prayer, we prepare ourselves, prepare our minds to be humble, reverent, and accepting of his uh, message that he has for us. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you that you have given us on the pages of the Gospels the life of our Lord. You know, we often long to know more about him, perhaps his childhood or, or other days, conversations he may have had with people or he did have with people that we know nothing about. We long for that, but um, you have given us an abundance of his actual life lived spoken, done, and from that and that alone, we could spend our lives trying to learn about him. So, in a roundabout way, Father, I'm saying thank you for what we have in the Gospels, for these, the record of his temptations in the wilderness, and for the application of him to us, which we wouldn't have if you didn't make us like him. You made us your sons and daughters through his sacrifice on the cross. And what a gift. And so, being like him, Father, we look to him and are grateful to see him in action and know that his action applies to us. And so, may through your spirit, Father, apply it to us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, in the wilderness, Jesus is, as we know God, uh, I think Satan also knows this. Um, the, the question Satan puts to him is, if you are the Son of God, uh, he says it to him twice. He asks him twice in two of the trials. And we would, uh, I think, rightfully 
assume that Jesus, that Satan knows who this is. Um, and he has the authority. Now, what amazes me is that Satan's not afraid of him. At least he doesn't seem to be. He actually commands the Lord. He says, turn those stones into bread. He doesn't say, could you please turn those? No, he uses an imperative. When he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, he says, throw yourself down. He uses a command. And so, with all the authority and the power inherent in the Son of God, as we said, he, like, when a, for instance, and I, and I love paralleling this with Elijah, when he's in this very place in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah, after he runs from Jezebel, Nahab, and that whole situation where he's completely depressed because Israel is, has failed so miserably, that he's pretty much sulking in the mountain. Now, while he's in the mountain sulking, God comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here? And, and then God says, look, come out of the cave and I'm going to show you something. Now, he doesn't say those words, but we read the narrative. There's... Elijah sees this huge storm, and he sees this huge fire, and he sees this huge wind. And in Kings, it says, God wasn't in those. And then it says, Elijah heard this voice. It's almost like a whisper. The Hebrew is a little hard to discern there. Uh, but anyway, it's some kind of voice. And God was there. And so here's Jesus in the same place who could use, sorry, at his fingertips, fire, hail, whatever. He could open up the earth and swallow Satan. He could destroy him forever. But he uses the word of God. And that is something. Because that's exactly what we can use. And believe me, in these last few days, I have applied this in ways that I haven't seen before. And I'm like, why haven't I been doing this for 30 years? (laughs) Oh, well. But you have to do it. And I'll show you what that is. We read this narrative and we're surprised. God doesn't do what we expect a God king to do. We're familiar with the story, so we know what we're going to read. But I think if we knew nothing about this and it was the first time we read it, we would be pretty surprised. Like, what is he doing? Why doesn't he just knock his block off? Jesus responds to the great fallen angel, ruler of the kingdoms of the world, prince of the power of the air, with Scripture. Word from the mouth of God. And he quotes it word for word. He didn't say, let me put my little theological twist on this. Or, you know, let me even summarize. He doesn't do that. He quotes it word for word. Which is astounding to me. And I think wonderful. Wonderful. And I tell you, it won't matter what translation you know. As long as it's a good English translation, that's some of the more expansive translations really leave the meaning. But... For the most part, most good English translations, even the King James and all, are going to give you the right stuff that you need when you need it. <clears throat> to, however, know it particularly is very significant for us. We are also sons and daughters of God. Jesus had just been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? So are we. Every believer is anointed with the Spirit at the moment of salvation. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We can be filled by the Spirit. And we are the children of God. And we are tested. And in one of these, uh, one of these lessons on this, we will spend some time in James chapter 1, where he opens up his book with rejoice. Consider the trials, the various trials that you face as reasons for rejoicing. Because they build your endurance. Um, And then he's going to, there's a wonderful uh, aspect there. So if we're led by the Spirit, Jesus is led into the wilderness. Again, we think, well, we're not going to be led into the wilderness, so how would this apply to us? But all of us are led by the Spirit as believers, whether it's discipline or (coughs) you're actually Spirit-led, meaning you're spiritual, that you are bearing the fruit of righteousness, 
the fruit of the Spirit. And if you are doing that and living that, you're going to come into conflict and clash with the, with the world and the people of the world. And by means of that fruit, you're going to convict the world. Your love will convict people that don't love. Your selflessness will convict people who are self-centered. Your sacrifice will convict those who live for pleasure. Your fruit will loudly proclaim the gospel in a world where salvation of mankind is, has, there's many ideas about how that comes. And your life will say, you're all wrong. They're not going to appreciate that. So if you live by the Spirit, he's not going to lead you into the wilderness, but he is going to lead you in the world. And in this world, you're going to face Testing from people and testing from circumstances. And if you are a spirit-led believer, Satan is going to take special notice of you. Uh, Peter writes, as we know well, 1 Peter chapter 5, that the devil prowls about like a roaring lion. He's seeking, seeking someone to devour. What does he want to devour? He can't just willy-nilly kill us. He would if he could, but he can't. So what is he seeking to devour? We know, because the next line in that, Peter says, resist him standing firm in your faith. See, that's a passage. You know why I, all of us who have passages in our hearts that we have, maybe we didn't set out to memorize them, but we've heard them so much that they're stuck in here. Word for word. In fact, when we hear them, uh, I was at a meeting last night where somebody read a passage from an ERV, an English Revised Version. And I was like, I've never read this passage before. And then I was like, no, wait a minute. Yes, I have. That's the words are different. But once I reread it, and then I, unlike in my New American Standard mind, I was like, oh, okay. And then I put them side by side. And I was like, oh, yeah. It's, it's a good translation. It's more expansive, more modern. The NSB is clunky in places or they call it wooden <laughs> it's wooden you know it sticks to the original language uh, more so than other english translations which is why i like to use it but uh in some places it doesn't really convey in in a modern way so whatever we, we try and sort that out um but as i was saying the passages that you know don't you love them when someone says to you, uh, actually, I heard Maggie say it the other day. She said in the, in the house, Chris and I, which we didn't even ask her to say it. She said, uh, she said um, oh, what did she say? She quoted Psalm 23, verse 1, word for word. And Chris taught her it in the back room there like a month ago. And in that little six-year-old mind, she, she remembered it. He leads me besides quiet water, she said. And I was like, whoa, where did you get that? Um, <clears throat> but when we hear that, don't you like, oh, I love that. And it's because it's here. And that's why I'm not going to tell you to memorize Scripture, but I'm going to tell you to memorize Scripture. <laughs> and, and not all of it. Obviously, none of us could possibly do that. But I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But where you, where you come in, if you, whatever situation you're facing right now, that is, and all of us have them. Once we get over one thing, there's another thing. Once we get over that and conquer it, there's another. There's something in your life that is promoting a little bit of anxiety or maybe a lot. Fear, uh, something like that. Or areas that are, that are sinful that you are more led to. And those we kind of hang on to our whole lives. We conquer them, but then they still linger. And I'm going to encourage you to find passages that are particular to your situation. Believe me, they're here. They're in the book that are particular to your situation. Memorize them as best as you can and use them against that thing. I've applied this the last few days for myself, and there are things that are like, wait a minute, that, that situation, that thought about that thing causes me anxiety. And I said, well, have I gone and looked in the Bible and said, well, this particular thing, this particular passage deals with that particular problem, and I'm going to memorize that 
And then every time that problem arises in my soul, I'm going to pull out that scripture and like a bullet, I'm going to knock it out. Oh, it's marvelous. It's marvelous. That's basically the whole message. We could end there. But let's put a little meat on it, I suppose, right? The Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and we haven't really gotten into the meat of it here, but what I want to do, and this is a continuation of uh, Sunday's class, is to teach us to use Scripture like Jesus did. And, uh, and then as we progress, uh, we'll do a little bit more on Israel. We're going to use Israel as the example. Because he does. And, uh, and, and then further, probably heading into next week, we'll look at these individual temptations. Uh, there's so much here. Uh, richness. Of, and, and it portrays to us, I think out of these three temptations, you can pretty much glean every temptation you and I are going to face. And if we know how to deal with that, Think of the strength in your life. It's like pretty much every temptation that comes your way, you're not sinless, but you have the power to overcome. You're an overcomer. That's what John writes about those seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, to the overcomer, and they come those blessings. That'll be you. And why? You learned some of it. You didn't learn the whole thing. I don't know the whole thing. You learned some of this, and you used it by faith, and you overcame. You gave all the glory to God, and that is the overcoming life. Man, it sounds so simple. It's almost like any of us could do it. That was a tongue-in-cheek comment. Of course we can. So knowing and applying the Word of God, this is the idea, the whole idea of this passage. There's more ideas here, but... I, I think the overarching idea of this passage, we can keep the main idea in mind, we don't get lost in, in when we look at the details, is that knowing and applying the Word of God is the only way to successfully overcome the temptation to sin. You know, why is Jesus in the wilderness? Spirit led him there. Why is Satan testing him? Satan wants him to fail. You know, who's involved here? Nobody, but Jesus, uh, the humanity of Christ, the angels show up at the end. And with all of these details, we, we answer the questions in this, which they teach us to do in a, in a homiletic uh, capacity. And that's, that's the art of teaching. Is that before you teach, you look at a passage and you go, you know, ask the questions, who, what, why, where, how, and when, and answer all those. And uh, we, we, uh, we do it instinctively, especially when we're reading a narrative here, which is, here is a narrative, it's a story. And, uh, and what's here is, out of all of that, is this temptation to Christ. Now, these sins, he's not tempting him to, like, adultery. He hasn't hung out there some drugs, or he hasn't held out there some some, uh, you know, lustful women, or he hasn't held out there, you know, anything like that. But he has, he's going to offer him the kingdoms of the world. And, and that's a, we're going to look at that a bit tomorrow. And uh, there's some wonderful aspects in there. Uh, and, he, and here he's going to offer him and say, well, look, you don't have to be hungry. You have the power. <laughs> if you're the son of God, why are you in the wilderness all by yourself hungry? Does that make any sense to you, Jesus? Use your power and get, you know, do the right thing. Uh, and the, uh, you know, throw yourself down. And in all of these, these are temptations to for Jesus to particularly, basically say, I'm not going to follow the will of the Father. I'm going to get out of this the way that I can. And and also with the throwing myself down from the temple. It's a test to say, well, you know what? God makes these promises. I might as well test him to see if he'll come through on his promises. And it's not that you and I throw ourselves in front of buses every day to see if God will save us. It's uh, we do this. 
We do this when we're not fearful of the Lord to restrain ourselves from doing what he says. Don't do that. You'll reap what you sow. Or do that or you'll reap what you sow. We say, ah, God, come on, whatever. Don't you forgive us of all things, you know. And it's kind of the same thing. But so his temptations, what I'm getting at, is him, his temptations are going to translate beautifully, even though we're not sinless son of God in the wilderness talking to Satan. These, all three of these are going to apply to us marvelously. It's actually easy to see how they apply to us. So Matthew 4, 1 through 4, we're just going to look at the, we're just reading the first one because we're not really dealing with them in detail yet. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter, see that title? We'll look at it. He calls him the devil in this passage. He's also called Satan in this passage. But this, this is a title and it's actually a participle. It's, a, it's an active adjective, which is a way of saying that this is what he does. This is his M.O. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now that's it. If you are the Son of God, why are you hungry? Same for us, right? Why, if I'm blessed by God with heaven... Why am I suffering? Why am I going without? Why do people follow that prosperity gospel? Prosperity gospel, which is taught in some mega churches. I don't know how many. I don't really care. But where people are told, look, you follow the Lord and your kids are going to turn out great. You're going to be blessed with wealth and promotion and, and promotion at work and success. And your health's going to be great. Everything's going to be great. It's obvious why people want that. And it's the same thing here. Same thing. If you're the son of God, should you be suffering in the wilderness? And he answered and said to him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, Jesus says to him, it doesn't matter that I'm hungry because the mission, the, the very idea of mankind is not food. The very idea of mankind is his thoughts. The way he thinks and the way I think is based on the words of God. Food is inconsequential. So the Exodus, and that's what we're looking at first here, is the Exodus should have used God's word precisely. Because, and, and the reason why we do this is because um, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is you know, written by, spoken by, and then written by Moses after the 40 years in the wilderness before they cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. They are uh, tested by hunger in the wilderness. They're promised a kingdom. And, uh, you know, with them, they send in the 12 spies. What do the 12 spies see? Well, 10 of them, Caleb and Joshua, see. well, they see the same thing. But Caleb and Joshua are like, it doesn't matter how big the giants are in the land. We've got God. There's no one more giant than him. But the 10 spies say, this isn't right. Not right. We can't take it. It's already occupied, occupado. So we can't go in. And uh, and and that's essentially the same thing. Although you know Jesus isn't tempted in that way, but God's kingdom to Israel was: you go in, and then you fight for it. And I'm with you the whole way. I promised you, five of you will chase a thousand. So I'm with you. Don't worry about it. You're going to mow them over, which they did eventually. But this is how the kingdom is had. And Satan says to the Lord, 
Well, you don't have to go this way of the plan of the Father, which is going to cost you your life and be the most God-awful suffering that you could have ever imagined, which you know is coming because it's all in the Old Testament. So, why don't we go another way? And the Israelites are faced with this, and we're faced with this. You know, what, what is in the kingdom of God and compared to the kingdoms of the world, what is offered here? In this kingdom, which is, for us, the United States of America, that is our kingdom. And then thirdly, they're told to obey and wait. And uh, how are you doing with that? <laughs> I, I say that only uh, jokingly, because they, in all of these, the last one's the most obvious. But it's t- they're all tied together. Because Jesus, when he's hungry, he waits and obeys. When he's offered the kingdom, he says, uh-uh. I'm going to wait, do it God's way, and I'm going to obey. And when he's told to obey and to wait, of course, he's going to do that. And so for us, you know, the Exodus is hungry. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're just going to look at the first one, then we'll look at the other two. So uh, coming up tomorrow will be the promised kingdom. I don't know if I'll be able to fit that. Probably not. So it'll be the promised kingdom tomorrow and obey and wait on Thursday. And then when we get to Sunday, we'll look at each of these in more detail. But I think here at the front, this is the most important part for us. Because this is how these temptations apply to us. So Exodus is tested by hunger. Deuteronomy 8.3, God says, uh, Moses said, He, God, humbled you and let you be hungry. Please notice that he's done this on purpose. He let you be hungry. God, why haven't you filled this part of my life? I'm letting you be hungry. God, why haven't you given me all my heart's desire right now? I'm letting you be hungry. Why am I single and alone? I'm letting you be hungry. Why did you take that away from me or him away from me? Or her away from me. I'm letting you be hungry. And then he says, I fed you with manna that you did not know. Meaning, And, and that's a great meaning for us. This could be a, a wonderful passage to memorize for the fact that if you're hungry right now, for whatever you know you haven't had fulfilled yet. Because when manna comes from heaven, and it will, that they're not going to starve. But really, Moses is talking about the past here, right? So for 40 years, they had manna in the desert. They're not going to starve. He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Everything is every word. So is God torturing us by not letting us have what everything that we want? Or perhaps he's just trying to prove to Satan that his children are better than the world's children. You know, in other words, look at my children. I mean, he does this. God does this with Job. He says, behold my servant Job, as he says to Satan. But there aren't a lot of Jobs in this world. And all Christians are suffering at some level. And those who are, and, and all of us have to, and whether we're of a Job caliber or not, we are to deny ourselves daily of the things that are sinful. And in that way, our flesh and our mind are hungry for the things of the world and the flesh and sin. And so, we, by denying ourselves, we're hungry. So we're denying ourselves, our flesh, our minds, of the things that lead to sin. It could be social media that I deny to myself because I know it has led me to sin. Too much rest has led me to sin. Now, no rest, don't do that. You need, you need enough. But you can also have too much, too much downtime. You need downtime. Even Jesus rested. But you can have too much, too much isolation. Christianity is a community thing. But it doesn't mean that you're, you know, that you have no isolation. Jesus himself went away to pray by himself. So there's some isolation, but we can have too much. 
we can have none also. Like he says to us in, in Matthew 6, if you're going to pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father in secret. And so we have to figure this out, right? So we have too much time in something or something else, not enough. But by doing this, what doing what God willed you to do, you are denying your flesh. You're either telling it to get up and get going when it doesn't want to, or you're telling it don't go there when it wants to. Right? And so you're serving and sacrificing for others when your old self doesn't want to. You're pushing yourself to go where the unspiritual you would not. You're, I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve the church. I'm going to serve in a capacity that God has willed to a person I don't like, that I don't want to be around. Someone told me the other day that his, uh, his uncle, who just got stage 4 cancer, and it's too late. They found it too late. And his uncle detests him. And this, this man is a Christian man. And he said, well, I didn't want to go see him because, you know, it's, his uncle's not good to him at all. But I went anyway. And he said, it worked out wonderfully, you know. So, and that's, I don't want to do this. You can make every excuse in the world for not going, right? And then, yet you do. So, you're, what are you doing? Your, your flesh is going to be like, no, don't, no, I don't want to go. You're pushing it. And therefore, that's a hunger pang. You're hungering to stay instead of going. It feels like hunger pangs. Denying yourself. It's like being in a wilderness. And in our wilderness, while we're denying ourselves, there's wonderful passages of this in the Word of God, we look at others around us. There's people all around us who are not denying themselves and they're not being faithful to God and they're not being self-controlled and disciplined and they seem to be doing great and they seem to be having a wonderful time. They look like they're having all kinds of fun. Psalm 73, is it 78? Psalm 70, I think it, I'm just curious, so I'm going to look now. I'll give you a breather. Yeah, it's 73. Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, they are, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness, the imagination of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, the people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. They're always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. I have wasted my time. But Psalm doesn't end there. It has a wonderful conclusion. He says, well, then I went into the house of God. And what did he get in the house of God? The word of God. He got the truth. And what he heard in the truth is that he says, uh, I heard their end. When I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Meaning what it looks like now for them is not what it is. So that's the hunger. The hunger of God is God's way of showing us, therefore, what is in our hearts. Um... Right, so if you go back to verse 1, Deuteronomy 
All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord your Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Now, God knows what's in their hearts. Um, but the wilderness is an analytical laboratory. Uh, that's a that's the kind of lab I used to work in when I was worked at Duracell as a chemist. Uh, what you do in an analytical laboratory is you analyze stuff and see what's in them. Um, in the case, uh, often in the scripture, the fire is used for that because uh, that's how you tested the purity of metals. And and it's an, an assay or a test, and that's exactly what's happening here, that God is testing your hearts. So when our hearts are being tested, we feel anxiety, stress, bitter, bitterness, fear, depression. Maybe we sinned. Maybe just the te- maybe we haven't sinned yet, but the temptation, the more we resist it, the harder it gets. The longer we resist, the more pressure we feel. <clears throat> So it says in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. You see, this is a, when, this is a passage you can run to when you're in the midst of a test and you, you initially say, Lord, why? And then if you have this, maybe you don't have it memorized, but you can go to it. And, and believe me, if... If you go to find a passage like this and it works to give you peace, you'll want to, you'll want it at least. You don't have to memorize it word for word, but you're going to want at least the gist of it in your soul so that you can quote it again and again. So the first question we want to answer when we're facing trial, and I do mean it could be that you've sinned already, and there's a trial in that. Can you... Get out of it. In other words, will you continue to sin? Or will you confess, repent, leave it behind? Um, you know, where we've sinned, sin, more sin is always waiting. If it's an area of sin, in other words, it's a weakness of ours. We're going to be tempted in that weakness the rest of our lives. I'm not saying we won't overcome it. We can but it's always going to be there as a, as a place of, that we need to be cautious of. Uh, so is this a trial in which the quality of my heart can be seen? Now, do I, I don't hear mean by God because he sees your heart fully. I mean you. And the answer is yes. Is this a trial in which, the, because every trial... Every test, every failure, and how you deal with failure by the grace and forgiveness of God and moving on from it. Not, you know, further sin comes from, I'm going to blame people, uh, whatever, you know, with things I'm going to do in which I'm going to say, well, it wasn't my fault. You self justify uh, his fault, her fault, God's fault, even. Blame my growing up, blame whatever. I can see the quality of my heart. So that one's kind of easy. The, the second one is, second question, do I want to see the quality of my heart in honesty and in humility? You see, when Jesus is in the wilderness, would you assume, I assume completely that he knows when he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness that this is a test. This is not a surprise to him. I mean, he's quoting Deuteronomy. This, he knows that this is him fulfilling Israel's history. It's a huge part of Israel's history is the Exodus. It's mentioned over and over and over in the Old Testament. God brings it up a lot. And to point to their behavior, to point to their lack of faith, it's brought up again in the New Testament, most especially in Hebrews. And... Here again, this, I mean, Jesus would have known that this is 
a test for him. Jesus knows his heart is going to be tested. You know, these, all these Deuteronomy passages, they, they all, this section starts in chapter 6. And in chapter 6, right at the front, we see the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that's what's being tested here. Do you love me with all your heart? So, the next question, Jesus would answer this as well. Do I want to see the quality of my heart? I think we too often forget that he's human. Because it's difficult for us. it's, uh, It's difficult for us. Like, for instance, in Hebrews 4, it says that he was tempted in all things as we are. All things? I, I was uh, reading this marvelous book. It's written by a Catholic, so. <laughs> I know, right? Ooh. I, the Catholic, some of the Catholic uh, uh, theologians are wonderfully mystical. I love their writing. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say, but. Uh, I've, I learned, I've learned a lot from a few this recently, but he said he brought up was in, in this uh, passage of you know Jesus's trials and stuff. It was a, a passage about it was a book about the last 24 hours of Jesus's life. It was marvelous, and uh, he said you know was Jesus attracted to women? That's what he brought up, and immediately I'm like heck no. But then he said you know is being attracted to a woman is sin? I'm like, well, no. Lusting for a woman is a sin. Now, look, whatever he says about it doesn't matter. I'm not, whatever I say about it doesn't matter. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like, wow, I, not only had I not thought about that before, I don't want to think about that. Right? This is my glorious Lord who does nothing wrong. And yes, he does nothing wrong. But if he's tempted in all things, he's tempted in all things. That we just leave it there. We're not going to add. We don't, you know, here we don't add to the word of God. Jesus's heart to this point in his life has not been tested. This is it. This is where this is his first test, his first real test. Right? We see his birth. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, we see him as really as bar mitzvah, kinda, and then and then that's it. We don't see the rest of his life. Growing up in Nazareth, nobody knows who he is. I mean, sure, I'm sure he's you know he's got life to deal with, but this is his first real test. Can you stand against the kingdom of darkness? You know, the leader, the the leader of the opposition against God and toe-to-toe and have him tempt you after you haven't eaten for 40 days and stand firm on God's word. Alone, not use your deity. How tempting that must have been. And I'm sure Jesus is ready to see, you know, he's matured. It says in Luke 2.52 that he grew in wisdom. Right? We have a hard time with I have a hard time with that. Jesus learning on. He's the one who wrote the book. <laughs> He's emptied himself of the divine expression. He's completely human. So for him, though, he sees in his heart wonderful strength. There's no failure here. There's no even glimmer of a failure. But what about you and me? Yeah. I don't want a book written about me, right? So question two is, do you really want to see this? Now, this is an option. The first one kind of isn't. You know, you're shown who you are. Whether you're willing to look in the mirror, really the mirror of the Word of God, and see what you are, meaning in your condition, um, but your life reveals who you are. But this question, do you want to really look honestly and humbly at your at your heart? Eh, for some, yes. For some, no. Psalm 26, 2, David says, Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. And I want to see it. I want to see what it is. 
uh, invariably what you're going to see is weakness. How often do I need the Lord? <laughs> exactly right. Do I need him tomorrow? No, I need him right now. Every minute is right. That's, it's a life of constant communication. Not like your head is down in prayer all the time, but that it is truly a life where you're constantly walking with the Lord, depending upon Him, looking to Him, help, having Him guide you. And, you know, the, the better my heart is in terms of maturity and spirituality and strength, and the only thing that's going to really make me grow is trial. A trial that hurts and is suffering. I, it, I heard, I've heard this from so many people, and I just heard it the other day from one of my professors. We were in one of the classes I'm taking uh, at Corbin, who's, you know, he, he's been a professor for 30 years. And he, he said to us, in all of my experience, the only way to really grow is through suffering, through pain. I do too. I believe it too. And I know the, I know the guy pretty well. And, and you know, he's, not, he's just not saying that for the sake of saying that. And, and when I thought about it afterwards, I was like, you know, we're always growing <laughs> Do you remember I, when he said that? I always have Colonel Theme speaks in my heart pretty often. He's always there. <laughs> it's like Holy Spirit, Bob McLaughlin, Colonel Theme, and some others. But uh, and you know, he said you're never standing still in the spiritual life. You say it all the time. And I, I truly believe that. Either you're going forward or going backward. But it's in pain that you take the. You know, that's where you really strive ahead. And if we never had the pain, we'd be taking baby steps our whole lives and we wouldn't really get very far. I think without pain, if you're saying the spiritual life to maturity is 100 miles, without the pain, every day you're taking a step maybe about three inches. You're never going to get there. If you live to be 200, you're not going to get there. I'd have to do the math, but you know. But in pain, we take a mile chunk. Or we fail that test. Thank God for the grace of God. Because how many times have we failed these tests and failed these tests and just done so horribly and, and turned to ourselves instead of the Lord. Instead of using the word of God, we went to, you know, aunt somebody or my, my best friend and I talked to them on the phone instead of going to God. And I complained and I murmured and all of that. I've done it too many times. And God's like, so, are you ready? You ready? Son, I'm so old now. I don't care. God's like, I don't care. You know how old I am? I don't care. Are you ready? Because it doesn't. for this, it doesn't matter how old you are. Jesus didn't use any physical prowess in the wilderness. He used his mind. Invariably, you're going to see weakness. Do you want to see it? You have to look at it. But in the view of your weakness, know that God wants you to run to him. Prodigal son only comes home after he's been in the pig pen. God wants you to run to him. Say, I can't run to God when I'm weak. Please. That's when you need to go as quickly as possible. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may find or may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, so that's question two. Did you want to look at your heart? We'll assume you said yes. Now what's next? What scriptures exist that refer directly to my test? What's awesome about this is you could have failed the test and be like, you know, the thought, the anxiety, the fear, the, you know, it needs to go. If you failed and you ran into fear or even into whatever overt sin, the, the, the issue, the situation still exists. 
you can, the word of God is not close to you now because you're a sinner. <laughs> it's funny to say that, but I, I think some people somewhere probably believe that. But go find it. And here we say, well, some have concluded that the Holy Spirit, you don't have to do this. The Holy Spirit's ministry, as Jesus said, is to lead us into all truth. And then Christ said, he'll bring to your memory all that I said to you. Now, he said this to the disciples who needed to remember all that he said so that they could write it down. Uh, But it's a big leap to go from that to say, well, I don't have to go looking for passages. The Holy Spirit's just going to bring them. And in my experience, and maybe I'm not as spiritual as some, but that's not the case. In my experience... And and that also smells of laziness to me. (laughs) You know, when people say things and they say, I don't have to do that. Like, it's like, um, I wonder what your motivation is. Um, So, but if that works for you, awesome. I would say, I, I, I must say that. If you don't have to go looking for passages to find, to help you in your time of trial, great. If the Holy Spirit's bringing them to your heart, awesome. I'm not that good. I need to go find them. What I do find is that when I'm looking, the Holy Spirit guides me. And in that, it's great fun. This is a treasure. The Greek word for treasure is thesaurus. And a treasure is a book of words. That's how the English is taken, thesaurus. But the Greek word for treasure, which could mean gold, silver, rubies, and gems, is thesaurus, and in here is a treasure. Um, And so, for example, that's all right. What scriptures, so, you have to go look. Uh, I'm truly... And, and especially uh, lately, I, I have applied this, and, and it didn't take me long. I, in in a self-evaluation of, um, you know, a few particular areas, that I, I really stopped and said, God, let's talk about areas where, you know, when, when those thoughts come up in my heart, I the fear starts to rise, whether I give into it or not. Um, but it rises. Um, sometimes I give into it where I start to get depressed about life. Where, um, you know, the, the real pull to certain sins arise up and I have to absolutely say no to them. Um, and, you know, do I have enough passages that are particular to those situations for me that I can just right in my memory say, bam, like as soon as that thought comes up, that passage comes out and I hit it with it. And I can, uh, there wasn't enough. So I went and found a few passages. So a, a particular issue. And man, I, it didn't take me long. You can go online. You can use the concordances online if you don't have Bible stuff. I have software, but you, know, you can go online and search. Yeah, put in whatever. Find a key word that describes your trial and go look. The journey of looking. It's like Indiana Jones trying to find the, the, the you know the little idol in the in the cave. It's super fun to do. And if you need help, I would love to help you. We have to find pertinent. Jesus' means of overcoming, and he already prepared himself for this, right? So when Satan tempts him, he doesn't say, huh, well, he doesn't have a Bible. But he wrote the book. So he brought, he brought the original copy from heaven. And he said, uh, you know, let me, hold on, let me find a passage for that. He's already prepared for this. He knows this. And he says, I got, no, Satan, I will not. I am starving, but... I am not going to turn those stones into bread to either impress you or angels or whoever. I, yes, I know I'm the Son of God, and it is very odd that the Son of God would be in a wilderness all by himself, starving. It doesn't make any sense to the world 
but it makes sense to me. I'm being tested like the Exodus. Exodus were 40 years in the wilderness. I'm 40 days in the wilderness. They got hungry, and I'm hungry. It is very obvious to me that I, my heart is being tested, and I'm the one who is going to do the history of Israel correctly. I've been called to this. So for me to turn those stones into bread, even though I have the power to do it, would be a complete failure. Because the Exodus, when they were in this wilderness, they were to remember that God had said to them, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth. So all of them, all two million of them should have said, we're hungry, but we have the word of God and we know God's going to provide. Praise the Lord. Let's get to the promised land. And Jesus, they didn't do that. And Jesus knows that this is his test. And he could have said all that to Satan, I guess. But what he decides to do is take a passage out of the Word of God that actually says all of that, but in a few words. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the temptation is gone. There's no way I'm going to turn stones into bread. Pertinent, pertinent word, precisely known. So uh, tomorrow, well, I have examples of this. Where, uh, you know, whatever. I, I don't want to go into it now. This is what I always do. Let me squeeze in something in the last few minutes. That... Uh, We'll look at particular passages where I, I want to point out what pertinent is. That first off, you need pa- not just any old passage. You say, I need to trust God. Yes, that's true. And maybe that's enough. But we're talking about a shield against strong temptation. You don't want to hold up some wet paper bag. You want something vague. You want, just like our Lord does here, you want the Word of God as, as original as you can remember it. So that the particular, because the particular words in that passage are, are extremely important. Man shall not live by bread, but the word alone, right? But by every word. You know, each of those words, you could summarize it a little differently, but you wouldn't want to miss the meaning, that it's every word, that it's, I do need bread, but it's not bread alone that I live by. And so, what if you do this? You know, this is a trial which my heart can be seen. All right. I'm not as super depressed now that I'm going through trial because I realize God's showing me my heart and I need to see it. So that's not so bad. Do I want to see that heart? So do I want it now? Here's the, I'm going to be humble, see what God shows me. It doesn't look good. <laughs> it looks weak. All right. What scriptures do I need? Go get them. Put them in your heart. Maybe they're already there. Beautiful. Right? Apply them by faith. What is this going to make you? Strong, wise, overcomer. You're going to be just like your Lord. And therefore, you're going to have an abundant life. Because you did what? Humbly. Listen to God. Read His Word. Remembered His Word. Heard his word, remembered his word. Read his word, remembered his word. All of us can do it. You will be an overcomer. So remember, trials are absolutely necessary. There's great fruit that comes from them. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for uh, those here who have come to hear your word. All those who here